0: Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. I'm referring to the people who are staying at home. We pray that the Lord will make himself felt in your house as well, that you will feel the approval and the presence of God, because you are worshiping him this morning. You are standing in his presence. You are taking this time to consecrate it to the Lord. And uh, we pray that even the, the words that will be declared here this morning through the sermon, but also all the other things that we have done, the singing and uh, the, the intercession, that this will be like vibrations that will extend 360 degrees around this this building from this congregation, blessing the city and uh, establishing the purposes of God in our community, in this land. Uh, I'm I'm very mindful this morning that I am uh, sharing a word uh, at the end of the year. In a couple of days, we will be um, welcoming and opening the door to a new year. We measure time like that, and that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Time is not really... You know, it's just endless. It doesn't have divisions. But we divide time into years and months and holidays and so on and so forth. That's a good thing. It relieves us from some of the monotony of life. And, uh, yes, we will be opening uh, another time, another moment in our minds, at least, to uh, the, the coming of a new year. And, and uh, uh, with that year that is coming, uh, come expectations about, um, you know, what, would, what will it be like when we began this year, certainly we didn't have in mind many of the things that we would be experiencing. It's been a significant year in so many different ways, a fateful year as well, and uh, who knows what God has uh, in store for us in the next uh, 300 plus days that we have ahead, and we must be ready for them, and uh, we must not take lightly this new opening of time that we are entering into uh, and uh, I want to, I'm very mindful of that this morning as I share the word with you because I want to bring what I hope will be a timely word, a word that will position us mentally and spiritually to live the next uh, few months with purpose, with a sense of significance of what we are living. So I will be, I will be speaking... Um, And I could title this in different ways, but, you know, I had put down here on top of my uh, notes, be careful how you live. That's one way to be careful, to be deliberate, to be attentive and purposeful uh, how we live the coming months. And uh, also, there's another element that I want to introduce in there. Everything that I will be saying will be in the light of that as well, that uh, we live in uh, difficult times, We live in perilous times. We live in dangerous times. This is why I uh, chose um, uh, the words of uh, Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, the verse that is up there is just one of many that uh, are contained in this particular passage. And Paul tells Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Um, in Spanish uh, it is translated, habrá tiempo peligrosos," uh, dangerous. There will be dangerous times in the last days. And I want to address my thoughts uh, to you in the light of that. That the times that we are living are not common times. I don't think life is ever common in, many, in any way. But uh, these times that we have entered into, and that we'll be entering into more deeply into this territory... Will be uh, a time that is perilous, a time that is uh, dangerous, um, the, a time that tries men's souls, as somebody said in literature. Um, uh, we have entered into a zone of living, I think, uh, humankind has, that is uh, unlike any other time in human history. I've been, I've dedicated some time to, uh, in the the past couple of years, to looking at the sweep of uh, history. I don't want to sound grandiose, but I've, you know, been studying um, the kind of, uh, the the projection of human culture, particularly in the Western world, and especially since the beginning of the Middle Ages to our time, and going through from the Middle Ages and in its different stages to the Renaissance, and, uh, you know, then looking at um, also another period of time, which is very important, uh, the Reformation, and then looking at the Enlightenment. And, uh, you know, in the 19th century, what took place in in places like England and and France, the various world wars that took place, the the birth of um, such uh, teachings and disciplines as... um, uh, psychoanalysis and uh, darwinism and marxism these great doctrines that have influenced mankind and then entering into the 20th century the you know the 1960s for example after the second world war and and what took place in the 60s with all the revolutions the cultural revolutions that took place on and on and on and you see that um you know humanity is engaged in an inc- it's possible to see uh, human history in one way as an increasing, intensifying uh, distancing from God. Uh, a, a, a distancing that becomes more and more complex, more and more purposeful, more and more defined, more and more capable of justifying itself to itself. And humanity is like this wayward child as in the parable of the son, the, the, um, the uh, prodigal son, uh, that um, is charting its way toward independence. In the Middle Ages, we lived in a, in a society that was, you know, respectful of God. I mean, it, it had all kinds of craziness in it and, and injustices and, and um, rebelliousness as well, in a different way disguised in all the religiousness of, uh, you know, Catholicism and of uh, Christendom. And so on, but but, uh, there was this sense, you know, that the world has been created, that there is a God, that there is a devil, that there are supernatural beings, that we live in a created world, and that we need to pay attention to that, and we need to live in the light of this created world. Um, But then, as you see all these different stages of human history, you see this growing distancing from God with, uh, you know, it's a zigzagging, it's not linear. But it is a zigzagging, but it's always going in the direction of independence, independence, independence. An adolescent trying to free itself from the hold of this governing father um, that whose, uh, you, whose ruling you see as, um, humanity sees as stifling and limiting, and it wants its freedom. And, uh, you know, every stage of human history you can see this continuum, this, this theme over and over again, independence, 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 it gets, it becomes more lucid, uh, more systemic in the way it asserts itself. But it's always there. And I don't know if it's part of the collective unconscious of the, of the human race, or whether it's a demonic force, that is leading culture in that direction. But it is very consistent. You can see it when you read history in the light of that theme of increasing independence and distancing from the creator. With all the attendant consequences of that, with all the, 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 the tragedy that comes when human beings that have been created to serve and worship the creator uh, get away from their axis, which is worship of the, of the creator and the reverence for the creator, and living in the light of the rules and the teachings of the creator. And humanity charts its own course. And what happens then is that as we live outside of our axis, as we live outside of our identity, as we live outside of uh, our, our, our sweet spot, so to speak, you know, we, we get untangled and we become like, to my mind came the image of a washing machine that, you know, sometimes you put clothes and, and it's unbalanced, and the, machine, the washing machine begins to, to shake and make all kinds of crazy noise because it's out of balance. The, the load inside is pushing in an unbalanced sort of way, so it shakes the machine. And I think this is what humanity is experiencing in the time that we're living in. It, the load is in the wrong place. It is not centered. And so all kinds of shakings and turmoil... Take place, And this is the time that we are living in right now. We are living in a, in a terrible time. We're living in a dangerous time where humanity is beginning to drink the dregs of its own irreverence and rebelliousness. And we have entered into a zone where that rebelliousness has become more pronounced, more defined, uh, more defiant. And uh, the, the terms of the struggle are clear. And undeniable. There will be a segment of humanity that will decide to continue living in fear and trembling of the Creator. There will be a sector of humanity that will respect the sacred. And there will be a sector of even Christendom that will live by the the, the, the words of the scriptures. But there will be another segment of Christianity and of humanity as a whole that will increasingly distance itself from the center. And from the truth. And behind all of this, I believe there is a demonic force guiding this whole thing. Because the, the, Satan is the prince of this world. You must remember that. It's a mystery. But there is a demonic force that humanity has paid obeisance to instead of the creator. And that is now, has taken control uh, of this uh, princely humanity. That has really the ruleship, but that now is some dark... And sinister steward has taken over the prince's authority and is wielding that authority in the place of the prince. We are the prince. We have been given authority by God to steward creation. As I'm thinking of Mitch's uh, words about stewardship. And now some dark, sinister uh, supervisor that was supposed to take the child and lead him to fullness of, and maturity has taken over. And is wielding the authority for himself. And this is where we are right now. I don't want to get away too far from my, my point, which is that we are living in a radioactive time. We are living in, a, in, in difficult times. We are living into a zone that we don't know how long it will last. It could be decades. We call the last days, the, the end times. I don't know how long it will be. It could be many, many years. Uh, um, but we are in a different period of time now. We have entered into a different period of time in the past even months or, <clears throat> or years, couple of years, five years, I don't know. But we are in a different time. We are in these terrible times of the last days that the Apostle Paul speaks about. And, and the question then is begged, well, how do we live in the light of those times? See, that is really my interest. It's not so much about negative thinking. It's about, okay, how do we live in the light of the times where we find ourselves now? The time of COVID, the time of uh, polarization, not only of this nation, but of all of humankind. Any, any country you look at, it's pol- we're polarized. We live in two different realities, two different interpretations of, uh, of uh, life all you have to do is read uh, you know, the conservative news. There's an alternate world, an alternate reality, which is made up of all the alternative news, whether it's the Epoch Times or the New Republic or um, you know, all, the, all the different, uh, Fox to a certain degree and others. And then there's another side, the New York Times, CNN, ABC, uh, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe. Two different realities. You know, I, I, I live in both of them. I, I read both, always, continually. I move from one to the other. And it really is like living in two alternative worlds. And that is representative of what the entire world is, is uh, experiencing to a certain degree. You could nuance that a lot, but we don't have the time. But we live in, that, uh, in these times that are unlike any other. I don't think that, uh, there has ever been a time in human life where uh, sectors, a whole sector, two whole sectors of humanity see the world in completely different terms. And they're, they're reading the same book, the book of reality, of history, of politics, of economics, of social relationships. But they interpret them in totally different ways because their interpretive framework is totally different. There's a sacred way of looking at the world and there's a secular way of looking at the world. And these two ways, they, they, provide inform- they process information in a different way and they spew out different conclusions. And I'm saying all of that just to, to enable us to understand the fact that we are living in very difficult times that drain the neurological system. They drain us. If you feel tired many times and exhausted, that's because your neurological system is under great stress you are processing much more information and sometimes contradictory information that drains you subliminally, unconsciously. It drains you. you. Your machinery is working harder every moment. And we are living in these dangerous times now. And the Bible speaks about that, has spoken about it in many different ways. And, uh, and it begs the question again, how do we live in the light of that? So this is why, you know... Um, also in Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen. I want let me stay for a moment in this, this this thing about you know the times that we're living in. Ephesians 5 fifteen. Again, Paul says to the Ephesians, Be careful then how you live. Ephesians five fifteen. Be very careful then how you live. Do you see that then? That means as a consequence. And uh, you have to go back to the four, chapter four and chapter three, because uh, there is a laying out of, of the land. And then says, and then Paul says, okay, now having understanding how you live, uh, uh, understanding where you are, and the kind of world that you are living in, the time of the kind of time that you are inhabiting, be careful then how you live your your life. Don't live it as unwise persons, but as wise individuals, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. I understand that. But prophecies like that, it refers to the present many times, and it refers to the future as well. And uh, we know that he was being prophetic about the future. If you believe, as I do, that we are living in momentous times, and that these times are the evidence of God's ultimate conclusion drawing near the end of history, um, then we must be careful how we live. We must live our lives very intentionally. That's my first uh, conclusion. You, you, if you're living in a momentous time, you have to live your life momentously, if, if you will, you have to live your life very deliberately, very carefully, very intentionally. There's another passage where the Apostle Paul speaks about the redeeming the time, redimiendo el tiempo. Redeeming the time. That is, you have to you have to make the most of the time that you have in your hands. That idea of stewarding your time. And you know, I call young people to to live their lives very deliberately. You know, you're, you're, you're never too young to take charge of your life in the power of God and in the light of the Word of God. Don't live your life wasting it in mindless, you know, computer games and chatter in the Internet and consuming of all kinds of light information that doesn't yield anything. It's just popcorn. It's, it's a cotton candy for the mind. You waste your time. There are no nutrients in many of those moments. You have to live your life asking yourself, how can, I, how can I become that powerful person? How can I become a wiser human being? How can I become a more functional professional? How can I be useful to my family, to my church, the culture that I live in? You have to live your life like that, and we're never too old either to live life like that. We're never too old to say, well, you know, I've wasted my life. I could have gone to high school, and I didn't. I could have gotten a GED, and I didn't. I could have gone to college. So therefore, I'm just going to, you know, just live out my life. That's it. No. Every day is a time to begin anew. Every day is a time to begin to live with purpose. Every day is a time to change yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to become something new. To reinvent yourself in the light of the Word of God with the power that God has given you. The authority that God has given you. You are a, a child of the living God. And you have all the power and all the agency to become what you want to become in the light of the Holy Spirit. God will tell you what he wants you to become if you listen to him. And if you ask yourself, Lord, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to become? But let's not lose sight of what I'm saying. You have to, we live in a in momentous time, significant times, and we have to live significantly. And you have the power to do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church also must learn how to live life in the light of the times that we are living. You know, I may not have time, as I'm looking here, to point, to make all the points that I want to make, but I'll just throw them out at you, and, and then remember them. I'll put it in your spirit. you know. And then I'll try to, in the time that I have, I'll, I'll try to unpack a little bit. You know, I, I want to speak about, I would love, I would like to speak about uh, the church, and how the church should live, and how we should live, because we are the church. One, you know, I think uh, we need to attend the church that may sound so trite to begin you know these points but because it is the most fundamental one I begin like that you know uh, attend the church and and yeah I need to talk about that a little bit because that's so significant in the time of COVID-19 you know if you can at all if you can and I I will nuance that a bit because I know that there are people who cannot who shouldn't be here physically attending but in the light of COVID-19, you know, attending church and and also participating actively in the life of your church. So attendance and active participation is one thing that I want to put in your heart. Number two, uh, I think we need to be an alternative community. Church has to become an alternative community. uh, In the light of the times that we are living in. An alternative culture. Even as we recognize that we need to be also engaged in the world, but it becomes more important than ever for the church also to be an alternative community. For us to go inward, even as we become ready then to go outward. But sometimes you have to go inward in order to effectively go outward. And so we need to, as a church and as an English ministry, we need to become more uh, of an alternative community and also to attend and participate actively I don't have the time to develop that yet. Number, th- number three, uh, we need to be a church of uh, uh, faithfulness to sound doctrine. In the light of the times that we are living, we need to make a pact, a covenant, to be a church of sound doctrine and sound d- teaching. This is why you have heard me uh, discuss this. And I'll remind you that I have not finished with ch- Ephesians chapter 4. There's one last sermon that I want to preach in the light of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 about unity, functional unity, and what it means to be a functionally united church. And um, that includes being united by a common doctrine, a common set of beliefs that are clearly delineated and defined. Um, So we need to be a church of faithfulness to sound doctrine because in the light of the times that we are living, in, this is the, the logic behind that particular one, the the dynamic is it will tend to drag us away from scripture and uh, we need to tether ourselves actively to sound teaching and sound doctrine so we need to be a church of sound doctrine and that has consequences about reading the word and studying the word and loving the word and being bound to the word And then we need to also be a church that emphasizes the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, living the Christian life in the power of the Spirit of God. The Christian life is a life of power. It's not a neutral life. We cannot depend just on good doctrine because what gives doctrine life is the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, doctrine becomes Phariseeism. It becomes rigid and self-righteous and condemning which is demonic. Uh, The only thing that keeps doctrine alive and breathing and warm is the power of the Holy Spirit. And these two, there's a tension between them, and you have to live in the tension. But you have to be hungry for the Holy Spirit, because that's what will give you power and effectiveness in the Christian life. That's the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be a church of fullness of spirit. And we need to emphasize these things, uh, in, coming, in the coming months, more than ever, because we have always emphasized that, but more than ever. Our youth also, you know, we need to be a church that will um, be aware that we are in the, in the fight of our lives for the soul of our youth, our young adults, our children even. This is a culture that will try to wrest children from their parents that will divide the children from uh, the parents. This is why the Bible speaks about Elijah coming at the end, before the, before the Messiah comes again. Elijah, one of the things that Elijah will do is to unify the generations. Right now, the enemy is very busy trying to divide the generations more than ever. That divide, dividing of generations became more intense, because I I think it's been around for a long time, but especially in the 1960s, when America and other nations, the whole cultural revolution, you know, uh, all of a sudden, rebelliousness became in vogue. It became fashionable to rebel against authority. And since then, we have seen the struggle of the generations. And so we have a bunch of, a whole generation of young adults who command the technology, who have a lot of agency because they they have command of technology and other sources of information. And so there's an alternative culture being created. And so families are being divided. Youth, they have a different sensibility from their parents. And that that is very offensive to God. This is why the Bible says in the last words of the Old Testament that Elijah will come. And he will unite the children with the parents and the parents of the children so that the Lord will not curse and destroy the land. Because when you have separation of the young from the old, uh, that washing machine gets even more violent and it's shaking. Because the generations are supposed to nuance each other. They're supposed to be in dialogue with each other. They're supposed to enrich each other. But when they're separate and they're not talking to each other, tragedy enters history and the world. And so God wants our children to be united to us and and, and the young need to consume the energy of the old because the old have a, a lot to give to the young and vice versa. But we have to be we have to know as a church and as people of God that we are fighting for the soul of our young people and our young adults. They're consuming all kinds of demonic doctrine, both in the secular world and in the Christian world as well. And we must fight for their souls, and we must teach them. We must not succumb to the temptation to give them what they ask for. We must be strong enough to not give them what they ask for, to teach them the truth and the, and, 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 and the right doctrine. They will rebel in the beginning, but then they will bow. Bow before the truth, sooner or later. But the old need to have the strength to stand their ground and to know that we are standing on eternal truth. We cannot compromise. And they need it. They require it. And uh, we need churches that will teach sound doctrine to the young and that will teach them how to be the church. There's no alternative church. There only has been one church whether it's the 21st or the 1st century. There's one way of doing church, the way the Bible prescribes. There are variants at the superficial level, but at the core, it doesn't change. And so we need to be a church that teaches our young people how to be. We are in a fight. This, we, this generation that is with us, whether it's millennials, not millennials, but the 17s, the 15s to the 30s, that whole generation has been inundated and contaminated with weeds, with the weeds of bad doctrine and bad teaching and bad cultural leanings. I can't repress uh, the image of that parable that uh, it says that uh, this man sowed uh, good seed. So it's a parable of Jesus. He sowed good seed. And then in the morning, his uh, servants came to him and said, Lord, in the, in the middle of the night, an enemy came and sowed weeds, bad seed, into the same ground where you planted good seed. Shall we, shall we take it out? And he said, no, wait. Wait for a while until the, both seeds grow into plants, and then you'll be able to discern more clearly which is which, and then take it out. But the important thing about that parable for me for the moment is this idea Of uh, planting good seed but then in the night in the middle of the night this enemy who is of course who is the enemy? Satan comes and plants terrible destructive seed into the land where God planted good seed and uh, now that bad seed needs to be taken care of. It needs to be watched very carefully. You see our children have received bad seed along with the good seed. Something has happened in the middle of the night. All kinds of cultural Bad seed, weed, have been planted in the sensibilities of our youth. And uh, the church needs to be very vigilant. and, And it needs to be careful, watch, and wage war against that bad seed. Because the culture has been inundated with terrible teachings that are destructive. And they sow death into the life of our children and of this generation, we have one more generation. We have, we have a few years. We have a few, just a few years before the church, and again, I speak as a man because I know that the, the, Satan will never have victory over the church. But if you look at history by itself, I think we have just a few more years before the church is totally reconfigurated or reconfigured. And before culture is changed. Right now, America is in a fight for its soul. Right now. And there's just a few more years for this nation to remain what it has been. Imperfectly, yes, of course. But we are right now in a moment of definition, one way or the other. And it it is so with our children as well. Because depending on whether we win the souls of our children again, I'm stopping in this area now particularly. Um, will determine what kind of church we will be or what kind of... We may be... And no, I don't think we will change. Lion of Judah, I hope, will not change. But we would be isolated. We would be like, uh, you know, those, those uh, cowboys in the fortress, you know, surrounded by enemy territory. I don't want that. I think we, we need to be healthy and strong and, and not on the defensive. But part of it is fighting for the lives of the children. Parents, fight for the life of your children. Have the courage to not give them what they ask for. Have the courage to use your parental authority and have the agency to take your children to good places, good readings, spend time with them, share your vision of life and of the Spirit with them, resist them. And then, of course, as I say, you have to love them. You have to have good times. You have to laugh with them. You have to enjoy life with them. They have to like you, not just respect you. That's important too. But know that you have a lot to do and say in how they grow and that you are living in a time, these perilous times, where you have just a, a few hours to keep them from going into the abyss. And you need to have the courage to spend time with them, to invest energy in their lives Uh, it's a labor intensive activity being a parent these days and especially of younger adults. And so you, you have to know that, but God will give you the wisdom. He will give you the authority. He will give you the victory if you contend for the soul of your children. So churches need to do that. Our youth, you know, we also need another element. I think it's number six. Uh, as a, and I speak particularly about the English ministry because of its own its configuration. Uh, this is a very much of a group in the making, a community in the making. We're not there yet, um, but community is important. Fellowship is important. Living together, being a family, knowing each other, spending time. Covid has disrupted our best intentions to have fellowship times and so on and so forth. I know, but when, we, when things get a little bit milder, we need to we need to fashion a community. We're not a family. That, that is the reality. We are an assemblage of uh, individuals, and the culture is beautiful in its physical diversity as I look over you even now, but we're not a family. The Latino community, and I'll speak in very clear terms, has more of that because we're more you know, united by language, by uh, socioeconomic configurations, and lengthier time being together, and so on and so forth. Um, But even the the Latino community, I will repeat the sermon in a different way at 12 as well. Um, They need also, um, you know, more fellowship. Because it's part of being that alternative community, that alternative culture that will offer people more cultural goods. So that then they feel that they can be here. That they can have fun. They can laugh. They can be enriched uh, Intellectually. They can have community and, and have the children have alternative ways of having fun and so on and of enriching themselves because those, these are human needs. The church needs to be more able to f- fill human needs. And so we need to become more of a community. And, uh, you know, that, <laughs> what I've done now is just assemble the whole thing and put it together here. Um, you know, the, the, uh, if we're going to have community, there also has to be, an agreement on the part of the people to support the efforts that its leaders make to foment community, to to create community. See what I mean? It's of no use if the leaders try to create community, but the people say, well, you know, I'm too busy. I got other things to do. I got my own agenda. I, I... Distribute time in a different way and it doesn't. what you're trying to do doesn't quite fit my needs and my agenda and therefore I really can't participate. One of the things about uh, first century communities and truly biblical communities are communities that allow themselves to be led by their leaders. I think that's a f- an important element of a biblical mentality or of an ancient mentality as a whole. And uh, in order for us to have community there needs to be submission to a program, if you will. It's not, the, it's, not the, it's not the relinquishing of your freedom. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a certain docile attitude that allows us to be led so that if there are efforts to make community, people say, yeah, I'll participate in that. Instead of taking my Saturday and going off to whatever, I will, the church is having an event and, and you know, to foment community. Well, I'll participate. You see, it has to be a common project. It has to be something that you adopt as a way of life. But in order for a culture to be created, there, uh, there has to be social engineering. And social engineering doesn't take place unless the people who are involved participate. Very complex to talk about this. But, you know, we, have, we all, you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, we all have to be very deliberate about creating a family, creating a community. So otherwise, it will never happen. We're trying to do something that takes churches many times, decades and decades and decades, to become a community. We have to do it in a shorter period of time because we don't have the time. And uh, so, uh, yes, community is important. We need to become a family. We need to talk to each other, know each other. Do you know the name of the person? Right now, if I ask you, look around. How many people's names do you know in this group right now? How many people have you broken bread with? Hmm? How many people have you uh, I don't know, spent a few minutes talking to them. It's so difficult. I mean, we're, we're, even right now we're divided by language. Some of us speak the English language better than others. And culturally we're divided. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, there's all kinds of dividing energies, even among ourselves. It's not our fault. It's just the way nature is. But we have to go against the grain. It's so, it, it, would be very, it would be very difficult. Because, you know, we're so different. I mean, right now, I look just in this line right here, the second line. I go around, so different. I know that most of you don't know each other's names. And that, you know, I, help us, God. How do, we, how do we create that? Otherwise, we would be simply great. A, 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 a beautiful number of people coming, sitting down, worshiping together. There's beauty to that. But really, you know, worshiping is like making love. It's, you, gotta, you have to know each other. You have to be comfortable with each other, you know, because these are energies. These are sacred energies that flow in the light of unity. And if you don't have unity, then you're only operating at 10% capacity. We have to understand each other. We have to know each other. We have to feel comfortable with each other. And that is what the Holy Spirit is talking, speaking to us. In the light of these perilous times, we need to become stronger. We need to become like that Roman phalanx, just tied together in order to have the collective power of our unity against the enemy. And so we need to be more of a community. And finally, we need to be a church of service. We need to serve. Because I'm not talking about the snail going into its shell and hiding away. No, I'm talking about uh, we become strong inwardly to become strong outwardly, to exercise more influence, to be more compact, to be more uh, concentrated in how we exercise our energy. So we need to continue being this beautiful church of service. Because even through COVID, we have never stopped serving. You know, we have given food to people. We have uh, helped financially a lot of people. We have increased, I think, actually our, our missions efforts. Honduras and the Dominican Republic and Mexico and, I mean, I Africa. We just sent an offering of a couple of thousand dollars to an African mission that we are operating with there to serve food, a Christmas dinner to hundreds and hundreds of children. We saw a photograph of that Uh, last Sunday in the Spanish ministry. You know, there are things that happen that I am not even aware of in this church. And this lady came uh, two Sundays ago and sat down and says, Pastor, I just want you to know what your church is doing. And then she proceeded to show me how th- there are dozens of people right now meeting through a ministry that began here with Miriam Diaz, a member of the church. And there's about 100 people who are meeting in through Zoom. And they are sending thousands of dollars to Honduras, to Mexico, to Peru. I didn't even know about this. And this is happening. It's been happening for months right here inside the church. And, out of, and of that group, uh, last week, my wife and I celebrated the presentation of a child, a baby presentation over Zoom, for a family in Bogotá, Colombia, who are members of the church and who listen to the church and who have participated in the church for years. I didn't know that. And, uh, you know, so we are a church that serves in so many different ways. Saturday uh, breakfast and, and uh, the clothes closet and, um, you know, the myriad things that we do. Distribution of food right here in the church as well, as, through, as well as through Alpha and, you know, in many different ways all over during, during COVID. Hundreds of thousands of dollars they have distributed to families in need all over and on and on. Do you know how many acts of mercy take place through this beautiful community? They are innumerable, and I'm aware that we don't know many of them. The sending of 500 boxes of uh, Christmas presents to children all over the world through Samaritan's Purse. You have done this in the middle of the greatest scarcity, and we, we cannot stop there. We need to continue. We need to be a church of service. We need to be a church that is known for its good fruit and its good actions for the glory of God alone. Okay? So all of these different things. And, you know, I will stop here because really I, I didn't get into my sermon as I wanted to. I put it all together. But in, we are, the, the, let, let the substances, I'm going to ask the musicians if they can not come forward. I'll stop because that'd be, I don't want to overwhelm you with too much stuff. Maybe I'll continue next time. Uh, rather than jumble things up too much. I want to leave you with this idea. How do we live in the light of evil days? Certainly, we will not live defensively, okay? This is not a sermon about being defensive. Actually, it's the opposite. It's about being offensive. It's about getting ready to possess the land. It's about oiling our weapons and examining them and disassembling them to put them back together to make sure that we can point well. It's about revisiting the strategy that we're going to use in the battle. It's about getting physically in shape for the struggle. It's about getting spiritually strong so that we can be effective. It's about examining the manual of operations and the vision that, and aligning according to that vision in order that we can do things that need to be done in the light of these perilous times. I'm not being defensive at all. I want you to understand that this is not some pastor giving a Jeremiah, the, you know, lamenting. I, I, you know, nowadays lamenting has become very in vogue in theology, in theological circles and in avant-garde uh, gatherings of Christians I I, I personally, personally I don't like this emphasis on lament I I can stay in lament only for a a very brief period of time and then I want to get into celebration I want to get into action, I want to get into aggressiveness because the church is a conquering force so I'm not here just sort of lamenting the times that we are living in I'm here saying we have to recognize the times And we need to go in it. And let me then stay a little bit here. Issachar, I wanted to speak briefly about the sons of Issachar. You know, the Bible speaks about the sons of Issachar as men who joined David when David was just about to take over the kingdom and be installed as king. It was a different time in the life of Israel. Now, with the coming of this anointed man of God to take over the reins of the kingdom, among the people who joined David in Hebron were 200 men who were of one family, extended family. And these men had the distinctive of being able to understand the times that they were living in. So I think it it bears within the, the topic that the Lord has led me right now, the way of doing it that I've been led to this morning, to stay in that moment. Because God is asking you to discern the times. God is asking me and all of us to discern the times that we are living in to know that these are serious times, these are perilous times, these are demanding times, these are sacred, sublime times, that we should give give thanks to the Lord that we are able to live in them. They are dangerous times, but they also will extract from us the last measure of heroism, and perhaps even martyrdom. Praise the Lord for that. We, We live in heroic times, epic times, and we need to live heroically and epically these men of Issachar the church speaks a lot about the sons of Issachar we use that all the time these were men who knew how to discern the times and that's why they joined David they knew that something new was happening in Israel and they didn't want to be left out and so they knew that this guy was anointed and that he needed to be supported and he needed to be backed 100% because they discerned the moment in history and we need to do the same. Let me tell you, you know, just today I was uh, led to, and I've used the sons of Issachar. So I said, let me look it up a little bit more. And uh, let me tell you about the sons of Issachar because you are being called to be a child of Issachar. This sermon is about being children of Issachar. The children of Issachar, by the way, are referred to in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It's the only mention of this family and of these men. First Chronicles 12, 32. First Chronicles twelve thirty two. Maybe they'll, they'll put it up. I don't know if I gave Raquel, Raquel that scripture. But it says that these men joined from Issachar, uh, David. Men who understood the times, these perilous times, and knew what Israel should do. See, there's a lot of Christians right now all over America and all over the world particularly in the Western industrialized modern rationalized world Christianity that don't know how to understand the times they're living times you know they're living life as if everything is okay you know yeah we need to yeah be spiritual be Christian they don't realize that now you have to live Christianity against the grain you have to live Christianity inclined toward all of these basic truths you have to aggressively pursue these truths. Not neutrally, aggressively and militantly and deliberately. These men were prophetic men. And, and they, they, they understood the times of what was going to happen in Israel. And that a new epoch was entering into, and that this man was going to lead those times. And, and they knew what Israel should do. These men were, it says, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Talk about uh, unity under authority. Th- that has always been a, a distinctive of effectiveness and, and of uh, effective warfare. You- you- there have to be people who are submitted to authority. Christianity, by the way... I- I would add one more <clears throat> quality to the new Christianity, the new old Christianity. And it is a it is a Christianity that knows about authority and knows how to live within authority. Because authority is a very biblical concept. And if we don't if we don't know how to live under authority, you are not living a biblical life. You are not living under a spiritual, biblical mentality. Understand that? Christianity is not an assemblage of different minds, all living, you know, the way they they're reason dictates and their interpretive powers of scripture dictates no it is, it is a, a people who agree to live under authority and we don't have that in our time because the, the, the spirit of the times is the opposite it's question authority but these men it just occurs to me now looking with all their relatives under their command now here's the punchline this is, what, this, this is an interesting story of what these men were and I got this through Clark's commentary on the Bible it says, children of Issachar, according to the Targum, what is, targum? It is one of the Targum? It is one of the Jewish holy books and holy documents of interpretation of uh, the Old Testament. Okay, particularly the five Bibles, the Pentateuch. According to the Targum, this holy book of scripture and explanation of theology, of Jewish theology, Very ancient. It says, according to the Targum, they were all astronomers and astrologers. This is not a biblical, understand me, uh, explanation of who the children of Issachar. It's an interpretation. But I think it it bears uh, support in the light of how people saw wisdom in ancient times. They were astronomers and astrologers. They studied the configuration of the Astral bodies, the planets and stars and so on and so forth. Like the magi who saw the star and went to see Jesus. They knew how to act. And there are mysteries in the world. Okay? They were all astronomers and astrologers. And this is what it says. And the sons of Issachar who had understanding to know the times and were skilled in fixing the beginnings of years, the commencement of months, and the intercalation, that is the the relationship, the intercalation of years... Of months and years they were skillful in the changes of the moon and in fixing the lunar solemnities this is the language of the Targum like with this ancient document and fixing the lunar solemnities to their proper times lunar meaning the moon the changes of the moon the fluctuations of the moon and what implications it had for human history and what influence again mysteries 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 you don't need to get into that and fixing the lunar solemnities to their proper times, skillful also in the doctrine of the solar periods, astrologers in signs and stars, that they might show Israel what to do. Again, this is an ancient mentality here. Understand that. Governing itself according to all of these signs. And, and they are real. I mean, you know, we shouldn't delve into that, <laughs> by the way. But you know, there are mysteries about our relationship to creation and to the cosmos that are, you know, that's, that's way, way above our pay grade. But when I see these things, I kind of, I look back and I kind of bow to the mystery. Uh, and their teachers were 200 chiefs of the Sanhedrin, these 200 men. 200 chiefs of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Israel, and all their brethren excelled in the words of the law and were endowed with wisdom and were obedient to their command. You know, we need to find, we need to find this uh, capacity to align ourselves with the word of prophecy of the Lord, the teachings of wise men who understand the times, who, who dedicate their life to seeing the fluctuations and the nuances of uh, the, the complexities of human existence and of the dealings of God with men and men with God and men with demons and demons with men and so on and so forth. We should ask the Lord for more understanding of that, by the way. We should learn to navigate more deliberately, more vigilantly, this mysterious world that we live in. We have lost the sense of mystery, I think, in American religion, Christianity, and in all of the Western world especially. We have lost the sense of mystery, of things that we cannot explain. This mysterious God who chooses whatever He wants and how He wants to do things. So they were obedient to the command. And finally, this, it ends the quote by saying, It appears that in their wisdom, experience, and skill, their brethren had the fullest confidence. They, with all their relatives under their command. They had the fullest confidence. And nothing was done but by their direction and advice. Really, I think the time is coming when we need to have true prophets walking the land. I don't think we have it yet, to tell you the truth. But we need to ask the Lord to send the spirit of prophecy and apostleship and true teaching of true discernment and revelation that will rule the land because we will need this we will need this arc of revelation going in front of us as we enter into this new land that God has taken the church into and um, that's what these men. Why, why have I taken the time to talk to you about the sons of Issachar? Because, you know, we say the sons of Issachar and this and that, but we, never, we don't know the complexity of that. That's who the sons of Issachar probably were. They're very complex human beings, and they have a lot to say to the church in, in our time. Again, we are living in perilous times. We are living in demanding times. How then shall we live according to these times? We need to live it deliberately. We need to live it mysteriously. We need to live this life militantly aggressively with fear and trembling asking the Lord what do you want from me fashioning ourselves into effective warriors for the kingdom letting go of every human love and desire you, you don't live for yourself anymore live for the kingdom immolate yourself in the fire of God's will And let him make you what he wants you to be. Give it all up for the kingdom. And then God will give you the kingdom. That's the way we need to live. And these men... So if you want just a little bit of understanding of... Of the times, that is, as the following words indicate, they were intelligent men who understood the signs of the times, well versed in political affairs. They knew what was proper to be done in all the exigencies of human life, all the demands of human life, and who now perceived that it was both the duty and political interest of Israel to advance David to the throne. We need to ask the Lord to give His people understanding to know who to follow, what direction to take in our times. That's, these are, so, You know, when we speak about the sons of Issachar, discerning the times, research it a little bit more. This is what we are talking about because sometimes we parrot things and we don't even know what we're saying. In the Pentecostal world, all kinds of people talking about the sons of Issachar. And they don't know the complexity and the fullness of that meaning. We need to live like that. Each of you needs to be a son, a daughter of Issachar. You need to be poring over the sacred documents, over the astrology and the astronomy of the Word of God, the mysteries of it, the complexities of it. God will speak to you. If you take the time, believe me, He will open this marvelous universe and closed in a few hundred pages. All the infinity of the cosmos is contained in this book that I can handle like this. It is a macro, it's a microcosm of the universe right here. If you take the time and you ask the Lord to open it to you, He will open it. Take time. See its mystery. Read it reverently. Know that your life depends on it. Become, fall in love with it. Become obsessive about it. Because you will need it in the times that you are living in. The church is being a lot of it is demanding from the church. It's being demanded from the church. And uh, these are the times that other generations have probably wanted to live in and we get the chance to live in it. And either we lose our soul or we gain it depending on how we approach these times. Would you stand with me a moment as we finish? And um, would you think about it this week? Lord, give me understanding Open, open the eyes of my spirit that I might know how to live and how to extract the maximum understanding of this moment that I am living in. How to be most useful to you in this most faithful of times. And I pray that the Lord will take Lion of Judah into a new stage of life, into a new stage of effectiveness, a people unified By one common, sound, healthy doctrine submitted to godly authority, intentional in the way we live, committed to becoming an effective army for the kingdom of God and for the redemption of the city and of the nation and of the nations even. A community possessed by an understanding of the imminence, imminence of the coming of the, the son of God. A community living with its eyes in heaven even as it walks with its feet planted on the earth. A visionary community with its children submitted to the parents and the parents exercising godly authority over the children. A community that has died to the world and lives for one thing alone, the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God. A community that is skillful in spiritual warfare and able to resist demons and to bring them into heal. A community that loves the word and that lives in the word and that will not get apart from the world, totally loyal to the word, even if it leads us into places of self abasement and even self dying. A community possessed by the Holy Spirit a Pentecostal community, a true Pentecostal community with all the meaning and import of that term, Pentecostal, living in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a church that will heal the sick and resurrect the dead and deliver and liberate the demon-oppressed, a community that will do the deeds of God, that will advance the, the claims of the Son of God over the earth. Father, we pray that you would teach us how to do that, that you would bring us into a transformation of the self, that you would make of this community an exemplary community that will incarnate and exemplify precisely that kind of attitude of what a godly church should be with extreme humility, knowing that we are no better than any of our peers. By your, by your grace, we do what we do by your sheer mercy and compassion for our weakness and our brokenness. But we want to be used by you. Now transform us and teach us how to live in a timely way, Father. Let these words expand themselves within us even beyond their immediate meaning and 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 unfold itself fully within our spirits and our minds and within this congregation Father make us an example of what you can do when a people submit themselves to your influence to your governance to your lordship to your sovereignty to your word let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Father let your will be done advance your work in our time, Lord. Stir yourself and your spirit in our time. And We will serve you, Lord. Thank you for this moment and for the opportunity to serve you as we have done this morning, to worship you as we have, Father. Now, Holy Spirit, move within us. Because this is not about information. It's about an impartation of your power within us. Do that now, Holy Spirit. Those who are watching over the internet, may the power of your word reach them as well. Each home, even the children who are sitting down before the television. Let them experience the move and the power and the influence and the effects of your Holy Spirit in their lives, in their homes. Father, in the city even those who are not listening to and will not hear this sermon. Father, but, but, but may they experience the effects of the words. Lord, have mercy on your people and have mercy on your church and rescue us. Thank you for this time. And now lead us out of here in, in, under your protection. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judá. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.